Your pastor wrote that last song, by the way, The Floor. He wrote that. I'm going to get a stool. I, uh, I'm not. He says he can pretend that he's young. I'll pretend that I'm old. I'll get a stool. No, I actually have, I actually have ADD, I think. Mom, do I have ADD, you think? Yeah, I definitely have ADD. So if I, if I, uh, my mom's here, she's, she's awesome. But I think I have ADD, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try something new. I think if I maybe sit down, I might, I might slow down a little bit. I get, I get so ahead of myself. I just get so excited, and I'm just talking about, you know, anyway. Um, it's already happening. Well, good morning. How you guys doing? It's good to see your faces. Did everyone have a good spring break? Some of you didn't have a spring break, so I apologize. I'm not trying to rub it in. Um, so, some of y'all came back with tans. I know you had a spring break. You know who you are. Some of y'all came back, and you're still exhausted, which means you didn't, so I'm praying for you. Uh, but the weather's beautiful outside, and uh, I'm grateful to, to be at Beaches Chapel where we had the freedom to take a few days off, and I'm grateful for it. Time with family. It was, it was awesome. And praise the Lord for this weather. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for being here. Um, just like Pastor James said, if you're new here, welcome. Beaches Chapel is a home for all to begin and grow in their relationship with Jesus. And uh, no matter where you are in faith, I believe you are here for a reason. Uh, and, and that's if you have been coming to church every single day of your life or if you, know, you just wandered in here for the first time. Uh, nothing is new to the Lord. And uh, his eyes see everything and he holds everything together. And I believe he's drawn us here uh, for such a time as this. We are in a series called March to Calvary, um, which we named... Well, Pastor James named, and it kind of has like two meanings, which I don't know if we did on purpose, but I'm going to act like we did. Um, it's like the FedEx logo. You know, there's an arrow inside the logo, right? They did that by accident. The CEO said, I like that because it has an arrow in it. Anyway, this is our, this is our two-meaning um, series title called March to Calvary because we started in March, which is this month, and we're going to Calvary, which is Good Friday. That's April 15th, which we will have a service for that I implore you, uh, come worship with us on that day. It's going to be a beautiful time together. So it's the March, it's the time from March to Calvary, April 15th, but it's also uh, us looking at the stories of Jesus as he marches through scripture, walking through scripture, um, all the way to Calvary, which is just like I said, Good Friday. Um, the idea here being that if God came in the form of a man in Jesus, knowing he was here to be crucified and to make right, right, the sins of man with the perfection of God, everything would have been very calculated and intentional when he moved and he traveled, right? So we're looking at the stories of where he, where he went, what he did, miracles he performed. Uh, so that's kind of our other side of things, right? The march of Jesus through um, his ministry. I hesitate to tell you exactly what we're going to preach on today now that we're talking about a story of Jesus. But go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have it, to Mark chapter 4. And the reason I, I said I hesitate is because we're, if, you've, if, if you've read Scripture a lot, you, you get really familiar with titles over um, you know, certain sections of Scripture. Those chapters and verse and titles were added way later than the writers actually wrote the book, right? So I want us, instead of looking at the chapters, we're going to span two chapters today. We've got a lot of scripture to cover, but don't worry, I'll only be about an hour. Um, you only get me once a quarter, so maybe an hour and a half. Um, but I want to approach this scripture with what the Hebrew uh, people, the, the Jewish people used to say, it was ayin tovah, which, which means fresh eyes, good perspective. Um, I, want our, I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation to flood our minds and just open it up just a little bit more. Uh, whether or not you've read this story or not. We're going to be starting in chapter 4, verse 35. And before, before I start, I, wanna, I don't know how familiar you are with Bible study. Uh, I get to teach Bible to, to the ninth graders here. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, it's taught me more, I think, than I've taught them. Or they're just not listening. Or maybe both. Um, but there's four Gospels in our Christian Bible, right? There's, there's, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all, all four of whom were followers of Jesus uh, during his 
uh, ministry. And if you, and if you look through uh, the different books, M- Matthew primarily is writing in his writing to a Jewish audience. He's a Jew writing to Jews. There's even evidence to suggest, and I'm not sure where, where I land on this, but there's evidence to suggest that Matthew even wrote his gospel in Hebrew, right? Because it was so poignant and pointed towards the Jewish people and Jewish um, culture. Like the, the, the genealogy he includes, the stories he includes, he's almost showing the Jewish people like, behold, this is the Messiah, the anointed one, who is a second Moses, right? He has come and he's, gonna, he's doing things radically different, but he's fulfilling everything that just came before, everything you believe in, right? That's the gospel of, of Matthew. I'm gonna skip Mark because we're gonna come back to that one. Luke is primarily writing to a, 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 a Gentile or Gentile Christian audience, which means they're not Jewish. Luke was a doctor, for anyone who, who knows that he was a physician. And in the, in the region that he lived, it was believed that he would have been what's called an Asclopian priest, right? The temples of Asclopian were kind of a Hellenistic um, advancement in, 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 in medicine and whatnot. And, and this guy was brilliant, right? He was really into holistic health, you know, health. He ate a lot of kale, I'm sure. Drank a lot of smoothies, right? He, he probably made kombucha, stuff like that, right? This was Luke, but he wrote, he wrote a very ordered gospel. I don't think he was a vegan. I don't know if you can be Christian or be a vegan, but he was a, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You're a Christian because you believe in Jesus, not because you eat a lot of green stuff. Um, I'm kidding. Have a laugh. He was also a proselyte, which means he probably became Jewish. He probably took on kosher and ate kosher, not vegan, kosher. Um, and, and he appealed to the people in, in Gentile regions. John is, is, is the fourth gospel in our, in our Bible, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it is like the wildest of all gospels. I absolutely love the book of John, right? It, some people make the claim that it's like supplementary literature because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so similar. And John's just like way out here on this other side. Like what, what, what the heck was he writing about? Um, but I think the gospel of John is beautiful. And if you look at the four writers, John was a missionary to the churches in Asia Minor, to the people in the first century. Like think about like modern day Turkey. Okay. So he wrote so specifically to these people. I'm, I'm going to write a gospel where these people would understand this word. Right. So he goes all the way back to the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Right. Uh, and then, and then finally we have Mark, which is where we're going to be today. I promise we're going to get there. I promise we're going to get there. Uh, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, and this is because he was writing to a Roman audience, a Greco-Roman, westernized, we don't have time for excess, don't waste our time, let's write it short and sweet, get to the point, and just move on. Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar at all, right? That is us. Hello, hello, America, right? He was writing to the Roman, uh, like the, the, the educated Romans, right? Trying to tell them, this is... This is the Jewish Messiah that everyone was waiting for, but behold, he's made a way to graft you into the family of God so you can be made right with God. And interestingly enough, the first person in Mark's gospel to profess Jesus as Lord was who? It was a Roman centurion. It was all so specific, right? And it honors the story. And I'm operating under the assumption, just so you know, that this book is the inspired word of God, that that it is from God. Uh, it, is, it is Holy Spirit um, um, made and created through the, through the hands and, and mouths of, of imperfect people like us, but through this beautiful process we call inspiration. And he inspired this word. And, and this is the word that our church stands on, this word of God. We are built on the word of God. And, and, and also, just so you know, this word doesn't harmonize well with culture, just so you know. The gospel is, a, is, a, is an offensive idea, right? It is, it, and, it, and if it offends, it, it's, it's convicting, right? But that's a different sermon. I don't want to get too far into that. Anyway, I'll let Pastor James do that one. So anyway, context is huge when reading scripture, right? Uh, So we're going to be in verse 35. I want to go ahead and pick up with you 
follow along if you got it. If not, just read the Sky Bible. Um, I called it that last time, I think, right? Isn't that what we call it? I just started that. It's the Sky Bible. That's what we call it now. Verse 35, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, I told you I'm going to be about an hour and a half. I'm going to go ahead and stop on this verse real quick. I just got to explain where the heck are they, right? Jesus up to this point has been doing ministry on the Sea of Galilee, which uh, is not really a sea. It's really just like a lake. It's, it's pretty, it's quite small, actually. You could, you could fit it in, inside Lake Okeechobee multiple times, right? You could, you could fit the whole thing inside of Lake Tahoe. Like it's not very big, but in that time it was called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was fed by the Jordan, right? Are you familiar at all with geography? Is anyone lost? If you're lost, just look at a map. You, have, you, you can look at a map while I'm, while I'm talking. It'll help make sense, right? So Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. He's on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in what's known as the Jewish Triangle, cities like Capernaum, Tiberias, right? Chorazin, cities you've probably heard of if you've read through the Bible or if you've been to the Middle East, which I do, I would love to go there one day. Um, but between these cities, he was doing ministry. And this region is not very big at all. You could see the other side of the Sea of Galilee, right? You could walk around the Sea of Galilee in one day if you had enough gumption to do so. It'd probably be a long day of walking, but you could walk around the whole thing. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And there was an audible gasp. We don't go to the other side. No, the other side is the Decapolis, which means Deca, 10. Apolis means like city, I think. That sounds about right, right? Metropolis from Superman, I think it means city. Indianapolis, there we go, there's one, right? I think it means city. If not, someone, you know, correct me later. Um, but he said, let's go to the other side. And the gasp didn't come from the fact that it was far away, right? It came from the fact that it was, oh, that's the, that's the no-go zone. We don't go over there. Because the Decapolis were the most non-Jewish, you know, Hellenistic, born from Alexander the Great cities on the other side of the Galilee, you don't go over there. In fact, if you said Decapolis as a Jewish Talmud, as a Jewish student, you were unclean for six days, right? You couldn't say Palatka because your, your mouth would be unclean for six days. You couldn't go over there, right? Some of y'all don't even know where that is. That's good, all right? It was the Decapolis, the 10 cities, right? Hellenism in this time, just so you know, I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with history, so I'm just going to go back a little bit. Alexander the Great was this great evangelist. He really was. I don't, I don't use that term jokingly, right? When Alexander the Great brought Hellenism to the world, if you know anything about Hellenism, it's all about advancement in technology, advancement in education, in healthcare, in gymnasium, right? In, um, in theater, in the arts, right? When he brought all of that to the world, there was a euangelion in the Greek, a gospel proclaimed, behold, this is the kingdom of Alexander the Great, and, and, and its rule has no end, was, was what this gospel would say, right? So, so the idea of gospel, of euangelion, it's very, it's very familiar to these people, right? And up to this point, there hasn't been one like Jesus's. There just has, has been ones where it's like, look, we have a new theater. Look, we have a new hospital. Look, Hellenism, they actually found ways to move air, like, it, like the first form of like air conditioning, to manipulate and move air. It was incredible for its time, right? It's pretty cool. Like no pun intended because air conditioner, but you know what I mean? It was pretty cool for its time, right? And in, and in the, this culture of Hellenism, these 10 cities rose up and they were so not Jewish that that's why there's such an audible gasp of, we're not going over there. We're not going to Alexander the Great's cities. We're Jewish. Behold, we're God's people. We will live in the hot without a hospital and not being educated, right? All these things, right? They're anti, like we're gonna, we're gonna secede from Hellenism, right? 
Are you guys tracking? Does that make sense? Right on the other side of the Galilee? Cities like, you know, Damascus and anyway, we can, we can go. But it was the no-go zone. So we read, that day when evening came, verse 35, he said, let us go over to the other side. <gasps> Gasp, right? Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I just want to stop here for a second. And remember, we talked about context, 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 context. Who is Mark writing to? Well, he's writing to educated Romans in the, in, in, in the first century. And, and as he wrote, I believe he's sort of writing this account. He would think, man, all of the Romans and then probably most of the Jews who are reading this would know, when was the last time somebody was in a boat and a furious storm came over it? Oh, it was the book of Jonah. It was the prophet Jonah who what? Who was called by God to go where? Nineveh. Where God says, go to those people. Go to that side, right? Go to that side of the, of, the, of the lake, of the ocean, of the sea, right? Go to that side and serve those people. And what did Jonah say? Does anyone remember? Jonah said, heck, no, I'm not going over there. And he ran from God. He ran from God. He gets on a boat. A furious storm comes over the boat. And where is Jonah during the storm? He's sleeping below the deck of the boat. It's this beautiful parallel of Jesus redeeming the story of Jonah, and he is going in obedience to the other side. Listen, Jesus leaves the comforts of his world and he enters the mess. He doesn't run from it. And only up to this point in the, in the, in the Old Testament do we have stories of people like Jonah who were like, no, I'm good, I'm good. And he didn't go to Nineveh. And then what happens? He gets thrown overboard. Then what happens next? Does anyone remember? He gets swallowed by a, by a big fish. Some of y'all said whale. Some of y'all said whatever. I'm not here to debate. We're not gonna talk about that right? And then, it, and then the fish, the whale, the seahorse, whatever you want to say, it spits him up on shore. And he says, go to those people and minister to those people. Proclaim the word of God to those people. And here in this story, we have Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee obediently, doing the will of God. So we know, wait a sec, okay, there, there's something coming on this shore, which is why I'm spanning two chapters. This is just the setup, okay? Just take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath, all right? So he's obediently going to the other side. We pick up in verse, I think we're in verse 39. Thank you, whoever said that. I appreciate it. He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. This was the normal state of the Sea of Galilee, right? A lake, fresh water. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of curious like when it says like they were terrified. It's like, you should have been terrified in the storm. And then he quieted the storm. Shouldn't you be relieved? Like, it's just so interesting, the, the word choice here. And I don't, I don't wanna spend too much time on this, but I do wanna say to somebody in here, if, if you are in the middle of a storm, and you feel like your boat's about to go over, and you know what I mean, and you know who you are, if Jesus is there with you, you are safe and secure. If you reach out, if you call his name, right, he will rise up, he will say, quiet, peace, be still, and he will be your shalom in that moment. Over and over again, we have, we have these instances of God being our peace, our shalom, right? Our provider, Jehovah Jireh, in the book, or sorry, all throughout the Bible, and it's, it's his faithfulness over and over and over again on display, so don't lose heart. Let's keep reading. We're moving into chapter five now, verse one. They went, this is the same day. You tracking with me? This is all the same day. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. <clears throat> when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs and he met them there. 
This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. For no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Are you getting the image here? This is a man not in his right mind. He was overtaken by what the Bible says is an impure spirit. Some people use the word demon there. And to all the, all the, the guests, I'm, we're not, we're not going to talk about demons in depth, I promise. Like, uh, but it's an, it's an impure spirit that had overcome this man. And what, and what did culture do to him? They cast him out. They said, get out of here. Get out. Go live among the what? The tombs. Go live in a graveyard and in the hills. And as if it wasn't already bad enough, the region of, of the Gerasenes, the city there that, 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 that Mark is talking about is Hippos and Susita. There's two adjoining cities right there across the Sea of Galilee. It literally means the cast out ones. So as if it's already bad enough that culture totally pushed him to the side, to the margins. The place where they pushed him is, is, is like a new title over him. Behold, this man living among the cast out ones. I could almost see like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe if it was turned into a movie, there'd be these kids, right, waiting uh, on the graveyard, throwing rocks, like, let me, you know, let me see if we can hit the idiot kind of thing, right? And it's, it's, and it's sad, it's tragic. Because what did this man do to deserve, or what did this man do to sort of self-impart an impure spirit overtaking him? Like, the word doesn't tell us, but I imagine it's quite a tragic, tragic um, situation. I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. Um, and not to mention, Jesus is across, across the sea, right? In the wretched Decapolis, right? Palatka, if you remember what we said, right? Palatka, right? And here's a crazy thought. Jesus came here on purpose. Why, why, why is Jesus here of all places? Doesn't he know that the Sadducees and the Pharisees are going to call him unclean just for being there to begin with? Does he not? I mean, he's taking on more like BS from those people. Really? I just said that in church. He is, but he's, but he's there on purpose because over and over, some of y'all just got that. Because over and over again, we see Jesus leaving the what? The comforts of his world to enter what? The mess of yours. You live in a messy situation. And Jesus would leave his comforts. He would leave heaven. He would put on a robe of skin and he would come down and live among us. And in doing that and then living among us, he would take it another step and he would go to the places the margins the cast out ones surely the places where us 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 good people should not go right let's keep reading a little bit when we saw or when he saw jesus from a distance this is this man with the impure spirit he ran and fell on his knees in front of him verse 7 he shouted at the top of his voice what do you want with me jesus son of the most high god which do you notice that even the demons know who jesus is that even the powers and principalities in the heavenly places like Paul writes about, they know who Jesus is and they shudder. James 2.19 says they know his name and they shudder when they hear it. In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. There's this little exchange that took place as the man's walking on the shore and Jesus is walking ashore, right? Jesus recognizes him, says, come out of that man, you impure spirit. And at the same time, this, this impure spirit, this demon is, is pleading with Jesus in God's name, don't torture me. Have mercy on me, right? Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them, or to send them out of that area, right? Or abyss is how we, read, we would read it um, in the ESV. Send us into the sea, right? Send us somewhere else, but have mercy on us, son of God. Now remember, Mark is writing primarily to who? The Romans, good job. You guys are doing great. This audience would have read this. I believe the recipients of this book would have read this and been like, the, the demon's name was what? Legion? Do you know what a legion is? A Roman legion is what? It's a gathering of troops. It's a measurement of troops. It's anywhere between 5,000 to 6,000 troops. And it's like one of the biggest displays of power the Roman Empire had in regard to military unit. And you have this demon inside a man saying, I am legion, behold, we are many. Well, of course you're many. You're, you're five to 6,000 maybe, right? And you are tormenting this man. And not to mention the 10th legion of Rome was stationed right there in that city with him. This was entirely intentional on Jesus' part to go and wage war on the culture that was existing at that time, right? The Roman Herodian sort of Greco-Western culture at that time where you got to put granite countertops in your house and you got to go to the theater and you got to be in the best shape and have eight pack abs, which I'm still working on, right? You got to do, you got to do all the things. And Jesus comes and he wages war, I believe, on that culture in this way with this man. And he says, come out of that man. And <clears throat> sorry, I lost, I lost my notes. I told you I have ADD. Here we go. Sorry, 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 sorry. Bear with me. ADD, remember? Uh, but, this, but, the, but, but the name of this demon, it was entirely true to, to, to the thing that was, put, that was um, totally taking over this man, but it was also so intentional by the gospel writer and by Jesus himself, and it was coming headfirst at the powers at B in that time. Jesus, what, was Jesus big enough to take down a legion of demons? Yeah. Was Jesus big enough to take down a legion of Roman soldiers? Yeah, probably at the same time as well, Right? Keep reading, a large herd of pigs, verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. I can, I can imagine them pleading, please have mercy on us, do not kill us, let us go into those pigs. Which is so odd, right? It is, thank you, it is odd. Verse 13, he gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. 2,000 pigs. I know it's not five to 6,000, but 2,000 pigs. Is this not a picture of, the, of Jesus taking down the legion, right? They, they, he, he cast them into, or into the pigs. The pigs say, you know, don't, don't destroy us, don't kill us. And then they just go right into the ocean anyway. So they just, or the, the Sea of Galilee anyway. So they die anyway. They take a mad sprint down the hill of the Sea of Galilee and plunge right into the water. Which, which, just so you know, just contextually, any large form of, you know, large body of water to any Jewish student was known as abyss. It was known as tohu vavohu in the Hebrew because it was, a, it was this big chaos, like nothingness, sort of what's down there, we don't know. Like Jew, the Jewish people, they weren't water people, right? They, they, they fished from maybe 100 yards offshore, but they, they weren't divers. Like they weren't like, you know, uh, like we, they didn't go to the beach recreationally. They did what they had to do, and then they got out of the water. They were not water people. And this idea of the water being chaos or abyss or nothingness comes from Genesis chapter 1, when it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. It was nothing. And, 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 and we see Jesus cast these demons into what? Into nothing. He obliterates them to nothingness. He throws them into chaos, throws them into abyss. 
throws them into nothingness, defeats them once and for all. Let's keep reading in verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. Verse 15. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were what? Read that. Afraid. You weren't afraid of the legion of demons in this man, but you were afraid of him finally being dressed for once? This man was, we have every reason to believe, this man was naked up to this point. Just running around the shores of the Galilee, completely naked. And you weren't afraid by that? No, you were afraid by the fact that he is in his right mind, which makes me think, oh, what a transformation. Oh, what a story to be told. I did a little digging about this idea of afraid, and, and it, it, it's, it's so mind-boggling how we respond to certain stories, is it not? And these people are responding in this way. Like, I would have been a lot more afraid than watching 2,000 pigs run off a hillside. That's just me, personally. I mean, 2,000 pigs is what? Probably an acre of pigs, right? I did Google, you know, how much space you need for 2,000 pigs, and there wasn't a clear answer. Let's just say maybe an acre. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I'm not a farmer, right? Let's read verse 16. It says, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then here is the response in verse 17, which absolutely just, it just blows my mind. Anyway, verse 17, I'm gonna read it from the Bible. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. That's their response to this. That's their response to a move of, is that my response to a move of God, I wonder? Is that my response when Jesus does something absolutely incredible in my midst and instead of being grateful or being thankful, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good, I'm good. You can leave now. It gives a whole new meaning to like the idea of vending machine God, right? You just come to him and you put a couple quarters in and get what you need and then leave. They don't track down the man's family and tell them the good news about their son who was delivered and has clothes on now. He can go to dinner again, right? They didn't thank Jesus for delivering the town lunatic. They didn't rejoice at all, actually. What did they do? They pled with him to what? Leave, get out, get out. Is this the Western response to Jesus? I'm afraid sometimes it is. Is this our response to Jesus? God, I hope it's not, but I know that it has been before. We like the Jesus that we can tame and control, not the Jesus who ruins major economic exports like pigs in that region. That was the biggest economic export of that region was pigs. And he just drained 2,000, literally drained them in the water, gone. We like the version of Jesus that keeps worship at 15 minutes and keeps the message at 20. That way you can get to Taco Lou before there's a wait. Look, we've, I've been there. I know. I get it. I totally get it. We've, some, we've, we've, we've turned church and Christianity into this additive to the American life. And listen, I love America so much. I have like three American flags hanging up in my house. I read a presidential encyclopedia to my kid when he goes to bed for fun. Like... <laughs> And I'm not kidding you. It has a lot of pictures. I love it. But I'm afraid in the West, we sort of courted this idea of I can just add Christianity where it's convenient. And I'm afraid that Jesus came to change everything, just like he changed this man's life forever. I fight this tension up here in worship sometimes. You know, we're doing some songs and it's going really well. I believe the Holy Spirit is moving in this place, right? We do believe that as we worship, right, we are a spirit-filled church, but as we worship, we believe that something incredible happens where the spirit of God in, is enthroned on our praises and he's here among us, right? Yes, God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, but there's something about our awareness and about his intensity that increases when music just turns on, 
right? I believe it's the same way when Saul would call, would call David into his palace and say, I'm being tormented. Play something for me that I might be relieved. It's the same way, right? But I fight that tension even up here. We're, we're, we're two or three songs in, and I see some of you just kind of like looking at me like this. And then I see people in the back who are just like this, and I'm like, surely there's got to be, what in the world? There's got to be something, right? We fight the tension of where can we add Jesus when it's convenient. And I don't, I don't think he wants to compete with anything else in the throne of your heart for what it's worth. And we see in this story, he came to change everything in this man. We see a man that was cast out from the masses and living among the tombs. He's not said to have anything, not even what, not even clothes on his back. And yet coming ashore one day is this tasseled rabbi who walks up from the boat and he changes everything. That's good news. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have, he shouldn't have gone to the other side. He shouldn't have crossed. He should not have been among the unclean cast out ones. But over and over and over again, Jesus leaves what? The comforts of his world to enter the messiness of ours and everyone else's. We go on to read in, in verse 18, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat. So this is following the man being delivered and following being, I mean, they're, they're pleading with him, get out of here, Jesus, get out. Like you, you, are, you, are, you, you have complicated enough, get out. The man begged to go with him. Verse 19, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The good news of this story, I think, is there was, there was more mercy in Jesus than there was sin in that man. Come on. There was more mercy in this rabbi who showed up on the shores of Galilee than there was sin and torment and impurity in the man that the rest of the world has cast out. Jesus met him right there. And in verse 20, it says, so the man went away and began to tell in the, in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were what? Amazed. They were amazed. It kind of blows my mind a little bit. Would, this would have been a great candidate for discipleship, I think, because he had nothing to leave behind. I mean, he had nothing, right? And, and, and Jesus surely picked some other people who were questionable, tax collectors and, you know, Judas who was going to betray him, right? I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't pick the, the cream of the crop. Like, I think he would have fit right in. And yet Jesus says what? He says, no, no, you're not going to come with me. You're going to stay here and you're going to tell everyone what, what has happened to you. And it's the only, believe it or not, this is the, this is, there's, there's two times in the gospel where Jesus is in the Decapolis region. This is the first time. And when he, get this, when he goes back the second time, is anyone familiar with what happens on the other side of the Sea of Galilee a few chapters later in the gospels? There are 4,000 people waiting for him to do what? To feed them. So at some point, wait a sec, wait a second. I just scratch my head and I'm like, at some point between Jesus, not telling this man to go back to Bible college, not telling this man to go read more Beth Moore books, right? He's, he, don't, don't go study in the synagogue. Just go tell people your story, your testimony of how mercy has overcome you and how you are new and there's no more impure demonic spirits in you. You have been made right. Go tell people that story. And you flip a few pages and 4,000 people are waiting on the shores when Jesus returns. Talk about evangelism. 
Talk about the power of testimony. Talk about the power of you just opening your mouth and saying, look, all I know is there has been a great mercy that has overcome me and there's no more spirits that are tormenting me anymore. And when Jesus shows up a little bit later on, there are 4,000 people waiting to be fed by him, taught by him, invested in by him. We talk about how great some of the missionaries of the, of the first century were. He, he, might, he might get the cake for me because he, he, he didn't have any theological training. He couldn't explain like, why well, the Trinity is, you know, this, that, or the other. He doesn't know Hebrew as well as some other people. Right? He lived in the Decapolis, he spoke Greek. He was a Gentile, he was unclean. I put it in my notes this way, just to make it a little simpler. I'm just gonna read it. From the beginning of this story till now, we see that Jesus left the comforts of his world to encounter the messiness of ours. And his encounter with us, with you, I believe he wants us to know this, that there was more mercy in him than there was sin in us. And his hand is not too short to save and his grace is not too powerful or is, is so powerful it can redeem. If, 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 if he has saved you and if you've believed in him, you have a story to tell, you have a testimony. You have a story of deliverance. You don't need more Bible training or theological experience, though I do think you should plunge yourself into understanding the scripture 100%. You need to start sharing your story though. You need to start sharing about his goodness and mercy in your life that followed you all the days of your life. You were blind, but now you can what? You can see. You were dead, but now you are alive. This is our story. And where sin grew deep, listen, his grace ran infinitely deeper and it always will run deeper. This is the gospel that he chose you, you, right in the messiness of your life. And he loved you and he redeemed you, not because you deserved it. You certainly haven't earned it. The only thing we've earned is an eternity separated from a perfect and holy God, but Jesus bridges the gap in the gospel. And he says, I will make a way when there was no way. I will not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but I will pour myself out as an offering so that you might be right with the father forevermore. This is the good news that we are preparing for all the way up to Calvary. That when he went to the cross, it counted for something. We started reading in verse 35 of chapter four. I wanna go back just a little bit. I wanna go back just briefly. I wanna share something with you. Um, so rabbis, would, rabbis would, 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 would teach quite extensively. And then they would take their students, their Talmuds out into the world and they would, they would show them practically what they just learned. Right? So they would go out to the market, they'd go out to the synagogue, they'd go out to the Sea of Galilee, and they would put to practice the lessons that, they, that rabbis had just walked through. Um, and in verse 30, I think this is the setup for this, these, these, these two chapters entirely. Read with me in verse 30, it said, Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. Some of y'all are like, why are you talking about a mustard seed tree now, right? But if, it, but if this parable, I'll go ahead and have the band, the band can, uh, go ahead and come on up. If this parable is all about multiplication, if it's all about small beginnings, if it's all about fruit, Tell me how Jesus going to the, the most wretched of wretched places and choosing a man that the world has completely written off is not kind of starting small when trying to evangelize to a whole region of the Galilee. He started with the most uncommon of messengers, the mustard seed. 
And yet when he goes back, there are 4,000 people waiting for him there. Tell me how that's not branches that have created shade for the people of God to now be taken care of. He sets up this whole account. And what's super cool, if you, if you, if you keep going, there, we can go back and look at excavations, right, of this region. And we know that there are many churches that kind of sprawled up in this region. Uh, all throughout the Decapolis, remember, 10 cities, all up and down um, from the Jordan, the Galilee, and all the way down in the Middle East. There are churches everywhere, big and small. So we know that this man, as he's going out, not only is he evangelizing to those people, there are churches being planted, God-glorifying churches where they're getting the word of God, and this nation, this, this, this entire region is being transformed by what? The good news, the gospel. But that behold, mercy is, is it's among us. But what's even cooler is we know in Hippos and Sesito where this story took place, there is a cathedral there. Now in the first century, really in the first couple hundred years of early church history, up till about 350 AD, a cathedral meant that there was a bishop who lived in that area. A bishop, I mean like a head, like a head honcho, right? Like Pastor James on steroids, right? Not physical steroids, like spiritual steroids, right? And we know that the, the, the bishop that came from Hippos and Sesita would eventually in 330 AD be called to the Council of Nicaea by Constantine, the Roman emperor, because he decreed that Christianity would be the main religion, the only religion in all of Rome. And they would call this council together with all the bishops of the surrounding regions. Think about Egypt, think about Asia Minor, think about all those cities, like those small, but, but very concentrated cities in the Middle East, all where this story began. And they would call them to Nicaea and Constantine would say, we need to figure out what we believe as Christians. So all the bishops sat down and they labored through the scriptures. And we know that the Bishop of Hippos was there. And at some point between this place being a wretched cast out margin city where the word of God was not allowed and Jewish people did not go because they were unclean. At some point between this story and the council of Nicaea, the Bishop of Hippos was the one who penned the Nicene Creed. He wrote it down. He wrote word for word the Nicene Creed. And you're telling me there's not a legacy of faith here from this demon-possessed man who all he did, all he did was he left the tombs. He left the dead things. He left the past. And he told his story of how mercy has made him new. And the Nicene Creed reads, I wanna, I wanna read it to you. I wanna read it together. It says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of same essence as the Father. Through him, all things were made. Through Jesus, all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who was made human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will never end. We believe, I'm not done yet, I'm not done yet. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son who is with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. You might have a little bit of a verse. Let me read it to you. He spoke through the prophets. Go ahead and go. Go ahead and go on next. 
We believe in one church. They used to say one Catholic or universal church or apostolic church. We believe in one church is the idea. We believe in one church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life and the world to come. Amen. This is what came from the faith of one person, I believe, who just opened his mouth and told his story of what? Of the mercy of God, the mercy of God that made him new. Why? Because there was more mercy in Jesus than there was sin in him. And that should be good news for you because you might feel like you live among the dead like this man. You might feel like you're on the margins. You might feel like you're far off. You might feel like you're unworthy. Guess what you are? But he has made you worthy because he has seen you as worthy. And he made a way when there was no way for you to be made right with God. This is the good news. Now, who are you gonna tell your story to? Is it gonna be at your workplace? Is it gonna be in your family? That's the hardest one in my opinion. Is it gonna be with those friends who are far off, those children who are far off? Some of you are looking for ways to, to, to maybe get plugged into the church. Yes, come, please, please, please come get plugged into the church. But then go out and be the church and tell your story everywhere you go. Because you are the, re, the representation, the representation of Jesus everywhere you go. The fragrance of God, the mercy and the affection of Christ all around. You are that everywhere you go. Even in the left lane on JTV in traffic when somebody's driving really slow. Even in that place where there's a long line and you gotta wait forever. Even when you gotta pay that bill or call that person. Or you, you are all of those things and more. And he has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Revelation 12, 11 says they overcame by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Don't just stop to despise the days of small beginnings in your story because it's drenched in the mercy of God and it's rich with his grace. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice because we have a story to tell. Surely your goodness and mercy has followed us all the days of our lives and surely it has made us new. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that the battles that we faced, you have overcome. The mountains that we could not scale, you have leveled completely. And you've given us everything we need for life and godliness with you. You have made us right. You have put us in right standing with the Father. And this is the good news, the euangelion of Jesus, that we were far off on the margins, living among the dead places and the dead people cast out with no hope, but Jesus came that we might have life, that we might have hope, but we might know hope. And we might be made new by your grace, God. I pray for the person in here who hasn't trusted you as Savior, God. I pray that you would soften their heart right now, that you would draw them unto yourself, that they would come with all of their doubts, they would come with all of their worries, they would come with all of their bad experiences, and they would lay it all at your feet, knowing that you are a good father. And when you died on the cross, Jesus, it counted for them, that person right now. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth in Jesus that God raised him from the dead, for your transgressions, you will be saved. And I pray for you right now. I pray that you would trust him right now. I pray that you would say, God, I cannot do this anymore. But I give over the reins of my life to you. Be my Lord, be my savior, make me new. And I pray for a grace and a strength among the people in this room to not see their story as something that taints their, their effectiveness. But would they see it as power? because it puts the power of God on display, the mercy of God on display, the love of God on display, that we were lost, that we were broken, 
that we were blind, but now we see. We were lame, but now we can walk. We were dead, but now we were alive because of you. Jesus, you've made everything new. We are forever grateful. We are forever grateful. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and we can worship today?